Now, Donnie and Jill Griggs, we first met early 2015, and um, we were at a, a conference for Advance, which is our network of churches, and uh, uh, Donnie um, invited us around. We, we hung out for an evening, and we began to bond over a shared love for single malt whiskey and, um, and also a passion for the church and the mission of Jesus. So um, not on equal terms, of course. And... Um, yeah, <laughs> um, not in order of priority either. Um, we, we, uh, we've, we've been in regular contact since, and I visited their church uh, with C a couple years ago and, and preached at One Harbor in, in North Carolina, and um, Donnie preached here a couple years ago, but probably most of you weren't around at the time. And uh, so when Donnie was going to be in, in the UK for um, a thing uh, with our church network this week, um, they... He ended up bringing Jill. Jill's coming over just for the weekend, just to spend time with, with our church. And so we're really privileged to have these guys with us today. And um, in many ways, their context is just vastly different to ours. And I thought it would be good just to have a little bit of an intro to just ask these guys a few questions so you can get to know a bit of where they're coming from and, um, and, and get to know a bit of them in terms of their heart before Donnie preaches to us. So will you welcome Donnie and Jill? <laughs> So, um, welcome, guys. Um, first of all, just wanted to ask Donnie if you could just describe for these guys, explain to these guys a little bit about your context in North Carolina, what it's like, and how you ended up there, and so on. So, um, 10 years ago, Jill and I planted a church in what is my hometown. It's a little tiny um, island town, like on the ocean. Um, where we live in North Carolina, um, small little communities surrounded by a bunch of small little communities, um, lots of kind of deserted islands with, you know, horses living on them. It's a really terrible place to live. Um, we were going down the Thames yesterday. I think that's right. How you say it? Thames. And um, we were in a boat. Is that right? Did I say it wrong? Gosh. I say the Thames. Sorry. <laughs> I need some new friends in London. If anybody wants to be my friend. Um, and uh, Andrew was like, look what a beautiful day. Look at all the people playing on the beach. And Jill and I looked at each other like, where's the beach? And uh, so there's lots of things to describe it, but I wouldn't, beach wouldn't be one of them. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, so I could go on about that, but I won't, Andrea. I learned lots of fascinating things. Anyway, um, so our context is really different to you guys in one sense. In another sense, um, it's really similar because you live in a really beautiful place. That's like a tourist destination, right? We live in a really beautiful place that's a tourist destination. Uh, tons of people come visit us. Tons of people come visit you. And on the surface, it looks like, wow, what an awesome place to live. People come to us and they say, wow, this is great. You just go to the beach all the time. This must be amazing. People come here and think you go to plays all the time. You eat awesome food all the time. Life must be great, right? Um, but if you live here, it's not just beautiful. It's broken, right? Um, and if we lived here, if we stayed here a little longer than a few days, we'd probably start. In fact, it didn't take that long. We were on a, tra- we were on a train yesterday, and we had to get stopped uh, because uh, they, had, they had shut down three or so of the stations because someone had jumped in front of a train and taken their life. So right away, we were like, oh, yeah, this is just like where we live. Where we live, it's really beautiful, but it's really broken. Um, and so we deal with all kinds of sadness and pain and sorrow. Um, and so in that way, I think we really identify with you. We live in a beautiful place that's really sad and really broken and really needs the hope of the gospel. So, Jill. Um, hi, Jill. I wonder if you could... Hi, Jill. <laughs> Uh, I know last year um, your, your town and area got hit by the massive hurricane which swept and obviously affected you guys personally, people you know, your church and your community. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that and what's going on and how the church is helping. Yeah, so in um, this past September, um, where we live, we're on the coast and so we are affected by hurricanes um, often. Um, I mean, normally we get hurricanes or hurricane warnings um, multiple times in a year. Um, but this one was definitely in the 10 years that I've lived there was the worst that we've ever experienced. Um, just major devastation, lots of flooding, lots of damage. Um, yeah, I mean, countless people lost everything. Um, yeah, there were neighborhoods where just home after home, everything was lost. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're, we've just been in a season of of being faced with so many in our community, uh, yeah, in this place of loss and devastation. But at the same time, we've had this incredible opportunity as a church 
to just go love and serve and help everyone. Um, and it's just been an open door. We've been able to partner with um, a nonprofit organization called Reach Global that um, have been able to come. And so volunteers from the church and even volunteers from other states have just come. And we've been able to put roofs on people's home and just love and help and serve. And in the midst of hopelessness, bring the hope of Jesus um, in, yeah, in practical ways as well as um, in, in truth and love. So. Another thing, Donnie, you've been, you told me a little bit about um, some of the work you guys are doing for addicts in your area. I know it's touched your family personally as well as being all around you. Maybe you could explain to us a little bit about that and what you guys are up to. So um, I think drug and alcohol addiction is a major problem everywhere. Um, but in the, in, in, in the States, uh, rural small towns like where we live um, are just devastated by drug addiction. Uh, specifically, heroin addiction um, is just massive. Um, they reckon that um, an eighth grader, so like a, a kid, is 80% more likely to be a heroin addict in rural America than they would be in a, in a big city. Eighth graders. Um, and so that's where we find ourselves, um, interacting with a whole lot of this. I'm also the, the chaplain for our local fire department, police department, and paramedics and all that. Um, so I've got a pager and a little app on my phone. It was just going off a minute ago with some horrific scenario. And uh, it means I rush out the door sometimes all hours of the night. Um, and a lot of times, this is the overdoses. I've been to as many as three in a day um, in our little town. Um, I do lots of funerals, too many, um, for these types of things. Um, but it's really just, my brother was a heroin addict. He was an everything addict uh, for 20 years of my life. Um, and so I grew up watching a lot of that pain. I, I lost lots of friends to addiction. Um, and so it's really just created a, a real resolve for us as a church where we refuse for this to be normal. Um, we refuse for... Um, yeah, for kids, kid after kid, um, either overdosing and dying or hanging themselves or what we just, we just refuse for this to be normal. And so we kind of pushed all of our chips in. We've drawn a line in the sand. And as a church, we're in this fight. We reckon it'll probably take 10 years or so before we take significant ground. But in just in the last year, we've sent close to a dozen people to rehab. Um, and so those stories of hope are starting to spread. You know, despair is really contagious, but so is hope. Um, and, uh, and, and some of those people have been like kind of the I mean, the face of addiction for our county. Um, and so, I mean, one of those guys in particular, I've known, for, I've known him for 27 years, and my entire time I've known him, he's been a drug addict. Um, his mom's a heroin addict. I mean, it's just his whole family. His brother's in prison for drugs. And I told this guy, I said, man, if you make it out, we're going to put a billboard of your face over this whole county, you know? I mean, just if you can make it out, anybody can. And so that stuff's starting to happen, um, but we reckon it'll be a long time. So we, um, as a church, we're just all in on that fight. Um, it's, it's, it's not the only thing we deal with, but it's a major one for us. It's a major source of despair and hopelessness. So let me grab that. I would love to just pray for you guys. Um, before you preach, Donnie, father, I thank you for, um, the amazing inspiration. These guys have been sacrificial and selfless lives. They lead and Lord, how you're mightily using them in that small town to make a big splash. And I pray father that the work they're doing would have not just the ingenuity of man and the resources, but, Lord, the power of God. And I pray, Lord, that as they help rebuild the town and as they help bring hope to addicts and as they continue preaching the gospel and planting churches, I ask, Lord, that you would continue to favor them with, Lord, the power of your freeing, your freeing power, Lord, for drastic total life change in the lives of those people who, who they touch. I thank you, Lord, that there are already so many hundreds of people whose lives have been changed by the existence of this church. And Lord, we are, we're just wanting you to continue that and grow it. Bless these guys, Lord, I pray. Change us as well through what Donnie preaches in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, it's really um, good to be with you guys. And, um, Are you nervous about what I'm going to say? <laughs> Just going to give you a moment here. All right, you got it. Cool. <laughs> I want to start over. Does that sound good with you guys? All right. Um, it, is, it is really good to be with you. And um, hey, if you're new, let me just say right out the gates, I don't have a list of people that I'm supposed to stare at and make awkward eye contact with. It's just me. I just naturally do it, okay? So this is not like on, on purpose. If I look at you funny, it's just 
I just don't know any of you, all right? And so that's the first thing I'd say. Secondly, I would say, man, if you're new, especially if you're um, just checking out Christianity uh, at the church we lead, One Harbor, every Sunday it's just tons of people, you know, just checking out Christianity. I've never been to church, never thought they'd ever go to church. No one ever thought they'd go to church, and here they are. Um, if that's you, man, welcome. Um, and I want to say, I, th- I feel like you've kind of won the church lottery, so to speak, because, you know, you've come to a place where um, you're, um, you're going to be taken seriously. Um, your questions are going to be taken seriously. The, the, the folks here in this church, the leaders and all the folks who are committed to this church um, are real people. Um, you, don't, you don't need to pretend. In fact, it's discouraged. Um, don't, don't come and pretend. Um, just come and be yourself. And uh, you're going to be taken seriously. You're going to be cared for. Um, you're going to be listened to um, uh, the folks. I know a lot of the, the folks in this church, and they're thoughtful, and they're kind, um, and they really love the city, and they, they love people like you. They love people who are on this journey of trying to figure out what, who is Jesus and what would it look like to follow him. And so for whatever it's worth, I just want to just commend you. If, if you're new and you're kind of checking this whole thing out, to just push in here. It's a, it's a safe place. Um, so um, I, um, I want to just talk with you a little bit about tonight— um, the, the importance of what it looks like to be committed uh, to, to a church community. Um, and so I don't know lots about London. Um, I've only been here about 24 hours. And so as a classic American, I've got it all figured out. Um, don't worry, I'm not suggesting you build any big, beautiful walls or anything like that. There will be none of that tonight. Um, and I apologize for the whole thing, by the way. So for what it's worth, just on behalf of America, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, but I, I have noticed in the last kind of 36 hours since we've been here, there seems to be a real culture of individualism. Um, it's not exclusively you, but it seems to be like volume turned up here. I don't know if that, that feels right or not. Um, here's where I get it. I, I um, Well, one, everyone's kind of in their zone, just running around doing their thing, um, you know, which is very individualistic. But then also, um, you guys like to take selfies, like, <laughs> like, I've, like unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. Um, and so we, we uh, hiked to what felt like Mount Everest, uh, it was the observatory, wherever that thing's at. Is that what you call it here? Gre- Greenwich. 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 <laughs> like I said, new friends. I need new friends. Greenwich. So we hike up the hill, and it's beautiful. It's an epic day. It's just amazing, and it is like selfie central. Everyone's taking selfies. Well, I thought, you know, let me volunteer, and I'll help take a few photos for people. So I come along and just start asking people, you know, one by one, can I take a photo for you? Can I take a photo for you? Can I? Some people were like immediately creeped out by this. Not a very London thing to do, I, I, le- I learned. But some people took me up on it. Let me take a photo of them. And, uh, and then as I would turn around, like feeling quite like proud that I've helped, they, they're now taking a selfie. Like they, it, what, they didn't want a picture of themselves. They wanted a picture they took of themselves, right? My picture of them, which was clearly better, was not enough. They wanted their arm in the shot. They wanted that little thing, you know? Um, and I think it just it's like a, it's like it speaks to, I think, a culture of just sort of everyone's in their own zone doing their own thing. Um, and so I, I think whenever you live in a society like that, uh, all of us, our, our culture affects us. It shapes us. And, and it's like being a fish in water. You don't even realize it. It's just it like it, it, you get wet, you know? And so um, I bet that, that what we'll talk about tonight might affect some of you, but you know, maybe, you know, it'd be something that you wish your friend could hear or something, but I do think it'd be helpful. Um, the culture we live in uh, really um, in the Western world is increasingly becoming um, individualistic. It's, it's, it's increasingly becoming that way, but then the, like the culture of the gospel, the culture of the Bible uh, is always, it's God always pulling us in a countercultural uh, direction from the direction that the culture is carrying us along, and so there's always a sense in which we feel like we're kind of going, we're, we're being pulled upstream, as it were, and and in the direction that the gospel continues to pull us into, that the, the Bible continues to pull us into, is this direction of really committing ourselves selflessly, sacrificially, to a community of people, um, and in which case, the, the church. Um, and so, again, if you're here and you're just checking out Christianity, I think this is a great night for you because what this isn't is just like a little click, you know. This is, this is not just some box to check, some religious box to check. This, this, is, um, this is a community of people who are, who are learning what it looks like to sacrificially lay down their lives for one another and for something um, greater. Um, for some of you tonight, I, I hope that um, this will mean that um, you'll take some steps forward uh, in, this, in this thing called the church. Um, so let me read you a passage of scripture that will just help set us off here. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us 
all this plural language, consider, let us like thoughtfully consider how, how we should stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Um, what I think is interesting is that this is written thousands of years ago. And it really, when I, when I look back on, you know, the, the days where the Bible was written, I kind of look at it through these rose-colored glasses, like everything must have been perfect. It must have been just sort of this euphoric community of just love and mercy and grace. And just, uh, but, but we can see right away they have, you know, they have problems. They had problems just like us. Um, and a lot of their problems are similar to us. And one of the things that's unique to me is that even way back then, this thing of, of, um, of not really prioritizing being together was already happening. It's quite, it's quite early in the journey for this to be happening, but the writer of Hebrews has to jump in and say, hey guys, lots of people are starting to you know, neglect meeting together. Lots of people are starting to take things like this casually. Don't do it. And so I want us to kind of like just consider that. Why do we do those things? Why, why do we drift off away from community? What would it look like to commit ourselves? And what would, what would be the good of all that? The first thing I want to look at is, is reasons why this is, this is a struggle for us. And I think it's just right to just say right out the gates that I think being committed to community is just simply hard. It's hard. Um, you know, if it was easy, everyone would do it, you know, but, but it's not. It's not easy. It's hard. Now, some of you might be thinking, I'm alone, and, and that's not easy. Right. That's not easy either. But, but the, the reality is that when you have to, to choose to, um, like in marriage, uh, for those of you who are married, when you have to choose to lay aside your preferences, you've kind of always lived, you know, to the beat of your own drum, done whatever you wanted, eat whatever you wanted, clean to the extent that you wanted, whatever. Then you get married. Well, you bring these two worlds together, and, and they collide together, and now you have to prefer someone else. Think about someone else. Uh, when Jill and I got married uh, almost 12 years ago, um, we, you know, I, I thought this was going to be smooth sailing, you know, um, and, and then, you know, right away I started to realize there are some challenges to, you know, coming together and trying to do life together. It's different than dating. You know, actually, like, living in the same home is different. Uh, Jill's mom had come over. Um, we have a good relationship now, but back then I was basically the devil to her. And uh, she had come over, and um, she had used our, our bathroom. We had this tiny little apartment, um, and she used our tiny little bathroom. And she come out, and she said, Jill, how are you going to deal with this? Something to this effect. And I was like, oh, my gosh, what, you know? Um, and she said, you know, he, he didn't put the toilet paper on the roll right. Now, I grew up poor. We were just stoked to have toilet paper back in the day, right? Um, and so th- this was, I, 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 didn't, I did not know there was a right or wrong way to do this. Apparently, there is. And if some of you uh, men don't know, I can talk to you later about it. Um, I'll help you draw you a diagram. But there's a clear right way to do this, and I had clearly never known this. Um, but it's, it's a silly example, but it kind of gets it like right away. We, I was realizing we come from different worlds. This is going to be hard. Right? Doing community together is hard work. It's why some people, you know, their whole lives think that, you know, singleness is hell and marriage is going to be heaven. Then they get married. They're like, oh, no, wait, I got it wrong. This is hell. I long for singleness like an oasis in the desert. Like, you know, that, that, that sort of reality that, like, life is hard. And then when you try to share it with other people, it gets harder. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of drama that all of us have in our own lives. And every family has its own amount of drama. But that's your drama. And you can kind of handle your own drama. You deal with that. You're used to that right? Um, my family's nuts, but they're my family, right? And I've grown up with it, and so I'm a bit used to it. Um, if you've got kids, there is a certain, like, amount of drama and difficulty that comes with having kids, but they're your kids. And in fact, when they're little, it's, it's interesting how, like, just the grace of God at work, when they scream, if they're your kids, you don't even hear it. Like, it's like, it's, it doesn't even, other people's eardrums are bursting, and like, it, you don't even, it doesn't even, it doesn't even equate to you that something's going on. It's like you've got grace for this. But if you get on a small plane or in a small restaurant with someone else's kids who are screaming, it's, it's a whole different ballgame, right? Because those aren't my kids. Those are your kids, and they need to shut up, like, right now, right? Um, in the same way, like, you've got your own drama, but, like, when it's someone else's drama, you don't want to get into that. Like, nobody's got time for that. Maybe you're at school or maybe you're at work, and, you know, you know Andrew or somebody, you know, told you or you read the Bible or something, and it was like, hey, you should be nice to people, and you should talk to people, and so you reach out at school or work and you, you know on the on the tube um I, I was hanging out with andrew and, and C's little daughter she has really taken a liking to me um and uh isla she she calls it a tube and so um we were playing i spy yesterday on the on the tube and she's like it starts with cha cha 
None of us could guess it. She's like, tube. Like, what's wrong with you idiots, you know? So now I keep wanting to call it tube. But, um, you know, say you're on the, the tube, and uh, you break out a conversation with somebody. You kind of do the unthinkable and say, hi, how are you doing? How's your day? And what if they actually told you how, what was going on? What if they just vomited on you this whole, like, oh, my gosh, my life's so messed up, blah, 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 blah. Like, we, we, don't want, we don't want to do that. We don't want to, do, we don't want to get in those kinds of conversations. We don't, we don't want to get in there. We want our drama to be our drama and their drama to be their drama, but we don't want to do that together. And, and, but that's what it looks like to be in community together. We've got folks in our church who, who refuse to, to go to a life group because they don't want to be around other people's problems. They got their problems. They got their kids. They don't want to be around other people's kids and other people's problems, Right? Being committed to community, it's just hard. I mean, additionally, there's other reasons, like we're really busy. Some of you guys might be thinking it's easy for you to be in community. Probably, probably got nothing else going on where you live, you know. <laughs> Bored to death all the time. You know, what else would you do? Um, we live in London, all right? And it's, it's, like, awesome here, and you're lucky we come to church ever because we could be doing so many other cool things right now, like a thousand other things. In fact, let's go do them right now. Like, um, I, I get that. You're really busy, and this place is really awesome. Um, maybe that's a reason you don't want to really commit. Um, another reason is that some of us have tried this. We've tried committing ourselves to a church, and we got hurt. We got burned. And that's a lot of us, man. A lot of us who have been Christians for a long time have just been really wounded, been really hurt. And, and so we've learned some, some mechanisms that help us not get hurt again. We show up late. We leave early. We stay on the fringe. We write fake names down on the information cards, you know, whatever the case may be, you know. And so this stuff's hard. And, and you know, it almost, almost leads you to the response of, like, why would we even do this in the first place? In fact, they reckon any time now to be 20%, upwards of 20% of Christians in America will be going to church online. The word church means the gathering. So I don't know how they're doing that online. But, I mean, that, that's, that's what we've come to, a culture where we, we don't even have to get out of bed. You don't have to get dressed up. In fact, you don't even have to get dressed. You just go to church online. Right, And you can pick your favorite preacher and upload your favorite band, and it's, it's perfect, you know. But I don't think that that's what we're meant to do, and I don't think that's what we're supposed to do. In fact, I think we're supposed to be in community. I think that's supposed to be normal Christianity. Normal Christianity is this is a huge priority, and, and, we, and we're going for it, right? And that's where we get this, this charge to not to neglect meeting together. The writer of Hebrews doesn't say, hey, you know, it's up to you guys. I mean, it's a free country and, you know, whatever. No, he says, don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. Don't do that. And, and the, the, what you see as you kind of dive into this topic in the scriptures and is that Christians aren't supposed to be in community because it's easy. We're supposed to be in community in spite of the fact that it's really difficult. It's inconvenient, that it's messy, that it's hard, that it's painful, that it's got risk. In fact, that's why I think uh, the early church in Acts, they used the word um, that they were devoted to fellowship. That word devoted means they were, they, were, um, they were persistent. They were steadfast. It's the type of language you use about a diet or an exercise plan. There's nothing romantic about it. I mean, if I said, I'm, you know, why do you go on dates with your wife? Well, I'm, I'm devoted. You'd be like, wow, interesting, interesting adjective. They're all devoted. That's the word you're going with? It doesn't sound romantic. It, it, it sounds like work, and sometimes being a part of community is, in fact, just work. It's you choosing to, to be part of this even when you don't feel like it. I, I think a struggle here is that you know, we, we, we would rather have a version of Christianity where we got to just, just us and God, kind of quiet times or worship in the car or whatever it is, and then every now and again we could dip in and out of relationships you know, that we wanted to be a part of. In fact, there's this great parable, the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard it before in, in Luke 10. But right before this parable, the Good Samaritan, it starts with this lawyer who wants to put Jesus to the test. And he says, okay, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And, you know, Jesus, you know, says, well, you know, what's in the law? How do you read it? And the guy says, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, well, you've answered correctly. Do this and, and you'll live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said, so who's my neighbor? It's interesting, that was his question. Okay, so wait a second. I gotta love people, but exactly who do I have to love? So Jesus goes on and tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And this scenario was basically, you love the broken, hurting person that's right in front of you. That's who who your neighbor is. It's the people around you who need need love. 
but we want sort of an individualistic religion where we can just have us and God, and then we can every now and again choose who our neighbors are that we want to love. But that's not part of the plan. Let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works. We don't just come to a meeting. The, the, con- the, the, the concept that we get in, this, in that passage in Hebrews is almost like you're on the tube over here, and uh, I know the real way to say it. I was just bringing that in. But you're on that, you're, you're on that mode of transport, whatever it is for you here, and you're actually praying on the way here. You're thinking on the way here. Man, I hope so-and-so's there. I want to encourage them. And God, help me to like, help me to, tonight to really encourage someone, love, love on someone, you know, stir someone up towards more good works. I mean, there's a sense in which they didn't just come to meetings. They, they, they came with something to the meeting. They came with this attitude of, I'm here, and this is going to matter. And this is, this is, there's a moment here that's happening that's important. We're saved into a community, not into isolation. Okay, so should we do this because we have to? Is that why we should do it? I think yes at first. And, and, and here's what I mean. Like at the beginning of anything, you do it because you have to. But then over time, you know, maturity looks like you begin to want to do these things. I've got, we've got two boys, um, Jed and Wyatt. Um, they're super cute um, and wild. Um, but Jed's seven, Wyatt's four. And at this stage in life, nightly, you know, we have to make them, you know, use the potty, brush their teeth, go to bed, right? Um, Jill's got a little song. I mean, there's a whole thing, we, you know, routine, right, involved there. They've got to use the potty, brush their teeth, go to bed. Now they're four and seven. That's pretty normal, I think, at this stage. Fast forward, say, 20-some years. Say Wyatt, our four-year-old, is 35. And every night around 8 o'clock, his wife calls us. Mr. Griggs, any chance you can come by? Why, what's going on? You know, Wyatt's refusing to brush his teeth again. He's doing that thing where he goes, mm-mm, mm-mm. You know, me and the kids are tickling him. We're trying to get the toothbrush in there. It's, he won't open it, you know. He hasn't bathed in weeks, you know. Please, you know. Can you guys come over? We'll chain him down, brush his teeth. Like, I would feel, um, I would feel like a failure as a dad, you know, because at some stage, I should have hopefully helped Wyatt along this journey to move from I have to brush my teeth to teeth are good, teeth are helpful, I chew food, I need teeth, to I, I, I teeth are helpful maybe from the standpoint of attracting someone else. Like, you know, there should be a stage in which, like, he goes, hey, I want to do this. I'm going to do this. I think this is a good idea, right? Um, that, that's what maturity looks like. At the beginning, you have to do it. And a lot of times as Christians, we, like, we don't want to do things. I don't feel like it. I don't want to do it. Yeah, that's all right. You still have to do it. But then over time, you start to grow to this place where you go, man, I, I, I get this. I get why it's a good thing now. And this thing of community is just like that. At the beginning, it starts off going, you do it because you have to. And over time, you should get to the point where you go, man, I don't just have to, I want to. I get to, you know? Um, so w- why should we want to be in community? Let me just give you a couple of quick reasons. Firstly, I think we should want to just for self-preservation. I think being alone is just, is just, it's just dangerous. Being, being by yourself is dangerous. It's dangerous for you and it's dangerous for those around you. That's why we live in cities. That's why we live in neighborhoods. Because being by yourself is not safe. I mean, I love Andrew. He's awesome. But I can't imagine him living in the wilderness. I think he'd be dead in a day. Like he, I mean, it's just, it's just, he's got no chance. He can barely hold a cup of water. I mean, no, but seriously, why do we do this as a people? Why, why have we, why have we always moved into, why, why do we live together? It, it's because there's safety in those numbers. And, Jesus, uh, sorry, God says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, um, it's not good that man should be alone. It's just not good. Why is it not good? Well, I'll give you a couple of phrases that have been helpful for me and for us as a church. Firstly, um, um, do you guys know what the, the phrase Lone Ranger, you know what that is? Like somebody who just kind of goes off and, you know, it's like this heroic image of like someone who just rides off in the sunset, doesn't need anybody else. It's, that's garbage. We say Lone Rangers are dead rangers. Um, you know, it's a matter of time before you get taken out. Um, Lone rangers are dead rangers. You know, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, roars around, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And in, in Peter's day, this was a real, this is a real thing. Right now, I mean, something's really gone wrong at the zoo if lions are wandering around London, you know. But, but in Peter's day, 
This was the stuff of nightmares, real nightmares. They, they would have probably known people this had happened to. And he says, hey, that's just what the enemy's like. Don't be by yourself. Um, I spent some time in, in uh, Botswana one time in the bush for a month in Africa, and uh, we would have to go to the bathroom at night in pairs. You know, um, that's, that's scary, right? Um, that kind of mentality, that's what Peter's getting at. Hey, listen, it's dangerous for you to be by yourself. But, but lone rangers aren't just dead rangers. They're also dangerous rangers. And this is something I think a lot of times we don't understand is that um, individualistic, you know, like individualism doesn't just come with individualistic consequences. That There are corporate consequences for our individualism. If we mess up, it's not just us. It's other people around us that get um, affected by that. In 2 Samuel 11, um, this guy named David, who's a king, uh, it says the kings are supposed to go off to war. David stays behind. He doesn't do what he should do. He gets by himself. He goes for a little walk up on the roof. Next thing you know, he sees some lady who's not his wife. She's naked. She's having a bath. And then if you know the end of the story, it just, it just all goes bad. But it doesn't just go bad for David. It goes bad for this, this lady's husband. She get, uh, he gets murdered. Their son that they conceive dies. And then pain and sorrow just ensue upon the community. There are far extending consequences for David's sin. It's not just like David gets... David's isolation led to a corporate suffering. Sin acts like a bomb, not a bullet. So we're, you know, it's dangerous to be alone. Another thing I, I think that, um, another reason we should grow into this place of wanting to be in community, making this a priority, you know, just thinking this is, this is something we're excited about being a part of, is that we actually become better people by being part of community. It makes us better. It makes us better. It, we, we, we get to come and encourage one another. We, we get to, we take, I mean, I, um, Proverbs 27, iron sharpens iron like, like one man sharpens another man. There's a sense in which when you come together and you commit yourself to this community, the, the blind spots in your life get revealed and get worked on. That things you can't see because they're, they're blind spots. I mean, the, the whole point is you can't see them. And, and on, on a regular basis, Christian community should, should, should look like we, we grow to the place in, in, you know, um, in love of each other and knowledge of each other that we're able to speak to call things out in each other so that we become better people. On a routine basis, people are coming to me and they're pulling me aside and saying, hey, you said this, or hey, you know, when you did this, hey, help me understand this. Hey, I'm worried about you here. I'm, I'm praying for this aspect. I mean, there's all that stuff should be normal, but it can't happen if you're not committed to community. Because otherwise, what happens is we're here so infrequently, we kind of pop in, pop out, no one really gets to know you. I remember as a kid, when we'd go to church, my parents would threaten me on the way there. Not to cry, not to throw a fit, not to do anything. Because the idea was we need to present to this, this group of people that we are perfect. And I would be rewarded afterwards, maybe ice cream or lunch somewhere fun or something, if I had upheld that view uh, at church on Sunday. That is so far from biblical community. We actually need to get, like, become to the place where we're comfortable with each other, where we, where we see the real you know, issues in our lives, and we can help each other. We become better people. We, we, we make it further. We make it longer when we're doing community together. We become kinder, more empathetic people when we're in community together. We, we, we do life together, and that, that, that causes us to, to take each other seriously. I read this quote a few years ago. I got him, uh, Ian McLaren. He said, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And so it just struck me. And I, I actually... I've not been proven wrong on, the, on that quote yet in the last several years. I feel like everyone I meet is fighting a great battle. Everyone in this room has got something that feels like just a mountain in their life. I don't know what that is for you. You do, though. And, and, and in Christian community, that, 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 we care about that. We're meant to care about those things. We, we want to care about one another. Um. Sometimes, like, our attitude is, like, we don't, we don't want to go to church just because we don't feel like it. But when you grow to a place of Christian maturity, you, you, you stop thinking about it like that. It doesn't matter if you feel like it. Someone else might need you to be there that day. It's not about you getting your fix. It's about you being part of this thing with other people. They may need you. We, we do these things on the fire department uh, called debriefs. Um, if we go to a really bad call, you know, if, I mean, really tragic stuff. We see really tragic stuff. And um, what we'll do is we'll do these debriefs. And they're technically optional. You don't have to go. But the reality is that um, we choose to go to those things because it, it may be that, like, that one, that one particular call may not have really got to me. I might not, I might not be dealing with PTSD, you know, um, symptoms from that call. But someone else might be. 
And so I go there to that debrief just as, as a support because I want to be there saying, hey, if anyone else is feeling this way, I want you to feel comfortable to like express how you feel. That's, that's kind of scratching at this. It's, it stops being about, oh, I don't feel like going today to, hey, this is my, this is my family. I want to go be with them today. And somebody else might need you to be here today, vice versa. Um, so, I mean, being in community makes us better. But I think along the way, what we see is that it doesn't just make us better. It makes us more like Jesus. And this is different because, you know, there's one thing about, like, me being on a trajectory to being, like, the best Donnie I can be, you know, 10 you know, tips to a, to a better Donnie or whatever. That's one sort of trajectory. That's all about me. Actually, what I find is when I commit myself to, this, this, to the church, I, I start becoming, like, better than I could have ever been. I mean, very, very actually the opposite of me, like different than me. I'm becoming like, like, like someone else. I'm not just becoming a, an enhanced version of myself. And that, that person I'm becoming like is Jesus, the person of Jesus who, who, is, who was the best person who ever lived. I'll, I'll give you a glimpse into this in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8. It says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, which is why most of us do most things, uh, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Now, on any trajectory of Donnie becoming a better Donnie, I was never going to count other people more significant than myself. That just wasn't in, that, there was, that wasn't in the journey. That was not on this path. Where I would get to the place where I would think other people are more important than me or more significant than me. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others, that I would consider that someone else is more important than me. How would I do that? Well, it says, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. As we, as we go down this, this road of, of committing ourselves to community, it starts off just being self-preservation. Then we find ourselves, we're becoming a better person. And then, and then we, we find we begin to care about other people more than our own happiness and our own joy. We begin to put our own preferences aside for other people. We begin to become like Jesus in that way. We're thinking about other people. We're considering other people. Only in, in Christian community are you forced to deal with your own selfishness. You know, you can listen to Christian radio and still just care about yourself. You can read the Bible every morning and still just care about yourself. It's only when you get into Christian community, you force yourself to, to push, push to the point where you, you actually have to prefer other people. That's when you start, your selfishness starts to get dealt with. This is not like, okay, well, I'll come to life group. Okay, 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 I'll go to life group. No, because you can go to life group and still be all about you. You, you might know those people. Um, they go to a life group, um, and, you know, the, the leader says, hey, guys, we'll just start by, does anybody need any prayer for anything? And 47 minutes later, the guy's still talking, you know? It's like, oh, well, our time's up for tonight. Um, so next week, maybe someone else can share. And that person's like, I feel so good. This is great for me. And the next week, they're there. 47 minutes later, still talking like, that, that's a person who's just thinking about themselves, you know? I think in a sense we could, we would all agree that you can, you can go to church every single Sunday and, 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 and never really love Jesus. You can go to life group every single week and never really love other people. It's when, it's when you begin to prefer people over yourself. It's when you begin to, to consider people over yourself that we're getting to the heart of what this looks like. And as we do that, as we, as we start being a people who come together, who prefer each other, who care about each other, who really want to do life together, who are, the Bible says all this stuff like weep with those who weep. And all, I mean, all, when we start doing all these things together, what's happening is something even, even bigger than what happens in this room right here. What we begin to do is we begin to put the gospel on display in the city that we live in. I was at um, Covent Gardens yesterday. Um, I think I said that right. And um, I, I was at a... Uh, we, we, there's a lot of, there's some weird dudes there, all right? Um, and so we were, um, we somehow got sucked into this magician. I use it in, in inverted whatever because this guy was terrible. And, um, but it was like a train wreck. You couldn't, we couldn't look away. It was awful, but we just, we were there. We were sucked in. And, um, and we were sitting behind him so we could see all the little like balls in his pockets. And it was awful. It was, wor- it was worse than it would have been. And, and so, Anyway, the, the guy just kept saying, like, hang in there. My biggest trick is coming. My biggest trick is coming. And me, like a four-year-old kid, I'm like, well, I'm sticking around for this. I want to know. Is he, is he pulling a sword out of his mouth? Like, what's happening here, you know? And his biggest trick was that he had helped, um, you know, people from all kinds of different countries and all kinds of lifestyles 
hang out together for 20 minutes and be happy. And he's like, that's it. That's the big trick. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> um, the, po- the point is there, though, that like that doesn't happen a whole lot anymore. It doesn't happen a whole lot uh, in our day. And um, obviously, uh, us over there across the pond, we haven't made that a whole lot easier. But, um, you know, th- this idea of people who are different than one another, choosing to do life together, enjoying that, doesn't happen a whole lot. And so... That's what this guy's doing. And, and I, I mean, I commend him for that, but I think man, that, that's what the church is supposed to be doing. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're, we're, this, we're the most diverse group of people on the planet. All around the whole world this, this morning, people have done what we're doing right now, but we, we choose to come together, uh, not just because it's 2019 and it's cool and it's politically necessary and all these, that, that's not why we're doing this, because it's a cultural thing to do right now. Um, we, we, don't, we don't just, like, we're not just doing it for a moment. Like, we are longing for this. We are, like, as Christians, we long that one day, one day, Jesus is going to return, and he, he's going to, we're, we're going to be joined together with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and forever and ever and ever, we're going to do life together. We're going, we're going to live together and love one another together. And that's what we're longing for. That's what we're looking forward to. And, and, and when we do church, when we make church a priority, we make each other, different people, a priority, we get to put that coming kingdom on display now in the, in the city of London a city full of diversity and, and, and brokenness and hostility and all these things. When, when uh, they were describing the, the church in the book of Ephesians, they used a word to describe these people coming together who had formerly been in hostility with one another, and it says it, it, was, it was kainos. It was, it was new, but the, the word they used was kainos, and that word kainos means unlike anything the world's ever seen, like the very first plane. This is, this is not just the newest plane this year. This is the, we've never seen anything like this before. And what was so revolutionary about the church was that people were doing life together. People who had formerly been in hostility to one another had chosen to put aside their preferences, to prioritize one another, to love, to serve, to sell their possessions, to give them to someone else so that someone else could have what they needed. This was unlike anything the world had ever seen. These were people who had formerly hated each other, and now they had come together. And by doing that, they put, they put the hope of the gospel on display. They put the kingdom of God on display. This is not about coming to more Sundays in a month to church. This, this is about recognizing the potential of what you have in this room. The potential you have to, um, to be a sacrificial community of, of people who have been brought together by Jesus. You're a gifted body. You're all uniquely gifted in different ways, but you're a loving family, but you're on mission. And together, you're going to display the gospel, the, the goodness of Jesus to the city. That's what this is about. It's about the potential you have together. To, to glorify Jesus in this beautiful city. And I know some of you are transient and some of you are just here for school and some of you are just here for a little bit for work, but you're here right now because God wanted you here right now. So make a difference right now, right here. We've got Marines who come in and come out near where we live. And a couple of years ago, one of the couples, they were deploying in two months to go to Japan. And they said, hey, can we be members here? And I was like, aren't you leaving in two months? And they were like, yeah, but we're here for two months. Can we be members here? It was so amazing. I'm used to all the excuses for why somebody's not going to be a member. These guys are like, hey, we got two months, man. Let's get to work. I love that. It's like, hey, this is, this is a priority. This, we've got something we can do together. I want to come in and join forces. I want to labor together. I want to see Jesus glorified in the city. You've got a, a lot of potential, and you really need it. You live in a beautiful place, but it's broken. And we, we need every one of you every one of you, to, to lean in and press in and, and make much of Jesus together. How are we going to do that quickly? Well, what I don't want to do is kind of end with this like, okay, rah, 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 hands in the middle, everybody. Grace Church on three, one, two, three. Grace Church, we got it. <laughs> that's just not going to last, man. That, don't, that, that stuff doesn't last. That lasts for like five seconds till somebody offends you and you're like, well, never mind. really understanding who Jesus is and what he's done, remembering who Jesus is and what he's done is the only hope we have. Years ago, I was at a sandwich shop in, um, in Los Angeles called Felipe's French Dip. If you don't know what a French Dip sandwich is, here's the quick flyover. Um, they dropped the bread from this meat sandwich in the meat juice by accident. The guy was in a hurry and said, I'll just put it together, I'll eat it anyway. It's incredible. So they started doing that, you know, like nonstop, right? 
So that's what it is. Um, if it's not big over here, someone can make a lot of money by doing those sandwiches. They're awesome. But this place, the Philippe's French Dip, they invented it. And so I thought, I got to go. I got to see this. I got to taste this. Um, and so I went. It's a super ugly building. Real just ghetto, right in the middle of the ghetto. And you go inside. It doesn't get any better. Um, but it was crazy crowded. So I'm like up this line, like up the stairs, looking down into the room. And I noticed while I was up there, very long wait, a couple of hours for a sandwich. Crazy. Um, there's hundreds of people here, and they're all from, like, they're from every walk of life. There's, there's looks like every ethnicity, um, you know, every possible breakdown of society. I mean, what appeared to be, you know, prostitutes, movie stars, business people, homeless people, all of them, right? But then what else I noticed was they're all in the same lines. There wasn't like a famous people line and a, you know, homeless person line. It was like they were all mixed up in the same line. And by the time I got to the, to the counter, what I realized was, there were not different sandwiches. There was not, here's the rich person, really fancy meat sandwich. This is organic and whatever. It was just straight up same sandwich. And it was the same price. So you had all these, these different people in the same ugly building waiting in the same line for the same sandwich. And it struck me, this is, what, this is, what, this is why we do church. This is, what it, this is what we're doing here. What we have in common, it doesn't make any sense there's nothing impressive about the building, nothing impressive about us. But like what's, what's impressive is what's brought us together. What brought those people together was this awesome sandwich, right? It brought people from all kinds of walks of life. Well, I think, we, I think we've, we've got that. <laughs> First Corinthians 10 verse 17, uh, Paul says, Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body. Man, it doesn't make a bit of sense for us to be together, except for there's this one bread, the body of Jesus. And we all partake of that one bread. We, we come together. We stay together. We, we, we persevere together. We're devoted to being together. When it feels like it, when we don't feel like it, we make this a priority. We, we push in. We care for each other. We serve together. We give together. We weep together. We rejoice together. Not because we're really good people. Not because we need this. No, because of what he's done for us. This one bread that was broken. He's made the many of us one. He so loved us. By this, the, the whole world will know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. And I know you guys are busy, busier than us, I'm sure. But I reckon Jesus might have been a little busier, you know, holding the stars in place and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he, he chose to prioritize us. I know that some of you have been hurt, and I'm not going to make light of that. There's nothing funny about it. Some of you have really been hurt. You've been busted up and bruised from past church relationships. And here's what I would tell you, though, is that Jesus understands that. Um, if you don't know, he, he came and he was rejected. He was mocked. He was spit on. He was beaten. He was treated unfairly. He was lied about. He was abandoned by those closest to him when he needed them the most. Punished severely for something he didn't even do. He's got a lot of reasons, more reasons than me and you, to want to just be by himself. And here's the crazy thing about it. He wants to spend forever with us. He can't wait. In fact, the Bible uses this, this, this picture that we're his bride and he's the groom. And that's how, he, that's how much he can't wait to be with us. And uh, there's, this, there's this thing, this weird thing in America where everybody's building man caves. You know, like places where the guy can just go be a guy and just get, you know, Get away from the old ball and chain for a little bit, you know. Um, and, you know, what's interesting is there's a lot of architecture, like, you know, the buildings, you know, in the new heavens and new earth, you know, in, in the Bible. We see all these, like, it's this many cubits by this and that and whatever. There seems to be no man cave there. Like, there seems to be no, no place where Jesus is just going to go, time out. I need some alone time, right? And, and, and you think about how much we've heard him. And how much I've disappointed them. How much I've, I've let, how faithless I've been. And I mean, I, I would understand if he wanted some time alone away from me, but he doesn't. He wants to be with us. That's where we're heading. That, that we have this Jesus who loves us, who wants to be with us. And so I pray that if you're here and you've been hurt, man, that he would allow him to heal you and allow him to draw you back into community. Um, if you're here and you don't yet know Jesus, and again, I'm glad you were here. I, I, I hope that one of the things you've heard is just this, this, this glimpse of the beauty of what the church is, that you're not being called. If G, becoming a Christian does not mean trying to keep a bunch of rules by yourself. 
fingers crossed you'll see a light at the end of a tunnel. No, it's about being part of a, a community of broken people, just like yourself, who need grace, who need mercy. We'd love to talk to you more about that. If you're here and you really struggle with um, commitment and all the rest, I, I, hope that, I hope that you'll just come quickly to a decision to just jump in, jump all in. Um, I think of one of your great, one of the greatest people to ever come out of um, England, Charles Spurgeon. He said, if I'd never joined a church till I'd found the one that was perfect, I should have never joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I found one, I should have spoiled it. For it, never, I, it, I, it would not be, have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, it's the dearest place on earth to us. Um, really committing yourself, even if you're transient, even if you're just here working, even if you're busy, even if all that. Really committing yourself. That, that, that's, what, that's, the, that's the normal Christian life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I, I really hope that, um, yeah, that you would um, help us to, as we consider how to respond. I pray for my friends in the room, those who don't yet know you, that they would find themselves being drawn to you. You, you, you just it's the beauty of who you are. I pray for my friends here who, um, who have been hurt and um, have chosen to just kind of stay on the fringes. I pray that you would bring healing and invite them back in, bring them back in. I pray for my friends who the individualism of the culture has become part of their Christianity. This is kind of what they come to when they feel like it, just to get a fix. The consumerism that can come with that, the sort of swipe left on this church, it doesn't meet this need. Swipe left on that, swipe left on that. That sort of, that culture of um, criticism and consumerism and individualism, I pray that you would help us to grow into maturity out of that. Um, and it's not just because it's going to be better for us, although it is. It's because you're going to get glory in this city when we choose to live like that. So I, I pray that you would, you would help us, help this church to, to do that, to continue to put you on display by the way they love each other. In Jesus' name, amen.